I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective, and today we're looking at chapter 19 of Breaking Dawn. That's right, we're getting back into the text, we're leaving the movie behind, we'll pick up the movie part two after I've finished reading this book. And before we get into it, I just want to say over on the Patreon, things are heating up with the Allegiant recaps. We've just found out the whole purpose of, oh God, of this experiment. You know how they locked people up in Chicago with a big giant fence and then they split them into five different factions based on personality types? Well, apparently it was all a big experiment. Like who could have thunk that? And the reasoning behind it is so, so, so silly. Something to do with genetic manipulation. And then there was a war called the Purity War apparently killed half of America because some people had fucked up genes and others didn't. And then they thought, okay, well, the best way to fix that is to lock people up in an abandoned city, split them into factions based on personality types so that they will, in generations time, fix their dodgy genes. It's all a bunch of cocoa mumbo jumbo. I I cannot make head nor tail of it, but it is quite exciting. So head over to patreon.com slash breaking down bad books if you want to get access to that. New episodes every Friday. Access is $3 a month. Okay, so where we left off for Breaking Dawn, Bella just died. Renesmee was born. Jacob imprinted on the baby. So, I mean, I think we're all up to speed. So this is the beginning of book three, Stephanie calls it. And we're back in Bella's POV and praise be. Praise be. So happy to be back on Bella's turf. That Jacob, I don't like the kid. I don't like him. And because it's a new book, we get a new epigraph. Don't know why that's necessary, but here we go. So this one's a quote from Orson Scott Card. And it says, personal affection is a luxury you can have only after all your enemies are eliminated. Until then, everyone you love is a hostage, sapping your courage and corrupting your judgment. Well, that basically sums up Bella to a T, doesn't it? She's always got shitty judgment over the people that she loves. For some reason, the whole world revolves around who Bella's stupin. And I'll have to see how this plays out, but really, am I meant to believe that she's going to suspend personal affection until the conflict with the Volturi is resolved? Like, I doubt that. As soon as she shows affection in the next few chapters, let's call it out and say, nah, that's a luxury. You need to suspend that luxury and until your judgment's no longer corrupted. Think of Orson Scott Card. That's what we'll say. And then... Following the epigraph, we get a new fucking preface. A new fucking preface. Okay, so it's a flash forward again. She's always flashing forward. She says, no longer just a nightmare, the line of black advanced on us through the icy mist stirred up by their feet. Okay, it's the Volturi, I get it. 
And she's thinking, oh no, we're gonna die. I gotta protect my precious one. Hey, that's a luxury, cut it out. She says, they ghosted closer. Their dark robes billowing slightly with the movement. Okay, I don't understand what ghosted closer means. That sort of implies that they're not impacting the environment around them, but you've just told me that they're stirring up icy mist from their feet. So I don't know, show me a ghost that can stir up icy mist. You know what I mean? Like I I sort of think of the vampires as just being so uber graceful that they have no impact on the world around them. Like Legolas in Lord of the Rings. You know how he just walks on top of snow because he's so light where the rest of the fellowship, they're like sinking into the snow. That's what I'm picturing. And yet she's describing them as bringing up a whole bloody ice storm around them because they're just trudging through the ice. But then she says they're ghosting closer. So I, which is it, babe? Which is it? So she says the Volturi. She doesn't say Volturi. She just says the line of black, but we know who they are. They are all coming at them from all angles. And she says, we are outnumbered. It's over. And then she says, and like a burst of light from a flash. What? How clunky is that? And then like a burst of light from a flash. Just say like a fucking flash. Like, or like a burst of light. It doesn't have to be both a burst of light from a flash. Oh, thanks for describing where the burst of light's from. Just say like a fucking flash. Anyway, she says like a burst of light from a flash. The whole scene was different. And yet nothing had changed. What? What? The whole scene was different, like a burst of light from a flash from a camera, and then nothing has changed. Okay, so her perspective has changed, is what she wants to tell us. She says, all that really changed was how the picture looked to me. Suddenly, I was hungry for it. I wanted them to charge. The panic changed to bloodlust. And so then she's there with a smile on her face, crouching forward with a growl ripping through her bared teeth. So she's keen for the fight that's never going to come because we know Stephanie Meyer doesn't like conflict. That's what really pisses me off about this book. This whole section of the book is gonna be planning for a war that never comes to a head. And she, well, I think she wrote this as she went along. I don't think she did an outline, but let's just pretend she did an outline and she's planned that ending from the beginning. Why are you hyping it up if it's never gonna come? Stop teasing me with this big old fight scene that's never gonna come. Ugh, so then we go to chapter 19. It's titled Burning and because she's burning. She's burning up, becoming a vampire. She's not literally burning. She's just explaining this fire inside of her body, which is the change. And I'm not talking about menopause or puberty or anything. I'm talking about the change of her becoming a vampire. So she starts by saying, the pain was bewildering. I'm thinking, what? Bewildering, like, like it's confusing? Like it's a surprise? I'm pretty sure you expected that this would, would be happening. But she says, it was exactly that. I was bewildered. I couldn't understand, couldn't make sense of what was happening. It's like, well, read a book. Like, I I, I wasn't getting why she was so bewildered, but she's saying it was so painful. My body tried to reject the pain. So then she tried to separate herself from reality, the reality of the pain. And so then she's telling us she's living in two different worlds. She says, non-reality was black and it didn't hurt so much, but reality was red. And it felt like being sawed in half hit by a bus, punched by a prize fighter, trampled by bulls, and submerged in acid all at the same time. Now, none of those things have actually happened to Bella before, so I don't know how she's like comparing these things as if she's got a lived experience of them. It's like, I don't remember when you were sawed in half and hit by a bus and punched by a prize fighter, or or when you were run over by bulls and submerged in acid. I don't remember when that happened, but thanks for painting the picture. And, And then, twist, I thought we were just going to be going into this chapter talking about the change, right? And when she's saying 
It was like being run over by bulls, getting sawed in half, etc., etc. I was like, wow, getting turned into a vampire sounds pretty tough. But no, she's describing the childbirth. We're going back to the beginning from when she dropped a sippy cup and all that pain, all that bewildering pain, she's talking about delivering her child. Now, I'm not saying that that doesn't hurt. Don't come for me in the comments and say that I'm minimizing childbirth. It just, it sounded like she was going on about turning into a vampire. It's just the way she was hyping it up. I'm, I'm sorry. And she was so bewildered. Like, you knew you were going to deliver the kid. Like what? You thought you were going to be pregnant forever? I don't know. So anyway, she's just talking about childbirth, which is, which is a big deal. It hurts. I get it. And I guess it is extra painful because it's a demon spawn bursting out of her and breaking her spine and everything. But yeah, okay. So it's painful. All right. You got me. I guess what I'm wondering is like why it's necessary when we're jumping back into Bella's perspective that we have to go through the, through everything we've just read, go through the painful childbirth. Like, can we not just pick up with her becoming the vampire? Like just a few words on that conversion perhaps, but no, we're, we're going back and getting all the trauma. So she's in a lot of pain. She says, one moment I was surrounded by people I loved, smiles, everything was as it should be. And then she she spilt her sippy cup and she reached for it. And she says, and you know what? I'd seen the other faster hands also reach for it, but I thought I'd try. It's like, why? And then inside her, something had yanked in the opposite direction and there was ripping, breaking agony. So yeah, we're, re- we're really going back to the start. Oh, okay. So then there was a wave of torture. She couldn't breathe. And she's like, you know, I had drowned once before, but this is different. This, this is worse than the last time I drowned. And then she hears someone shouting about the placenta having detached. And she's like, oh no, I know what that means. That means my baby's gonna die. And so she starts screaming, get him out, get him out. I know we read this last chapter, but okay. It's nice to have a little recap. I thought she was passed out for a lot of this, but no, she's describing it in great detail. I mean, she's saying pieces of me were shattering, snapping, slicing apart. Oh boy. She's really making the case for an epidural, isn't she? And so that's when Edward's screaming about getting the morphine and she's like, ugh, what an idiot. She says, ugh, he wanted to wait to give me painkillers while our baby was dying. And then she does the interrobang, the question mark with the exclamation after it. She's like, what? That's so silly. That's crazy. Meanwhile, she's describing all the pain she's in. And I'm thinking, yeah, get that morphine into your doll. Then she's starting to pass out. Then a cold point of new pain stabbed icily into her stomach which was Edward using his teeth to, to break through her ambiotic sac, I believe. So then the pain's starting to fade away. Oh no, it wasn't that. Oh, it wasn't him ripping into her pregnant belly. It, that must've been the morphine. <sighs> Maybe I do need the recap. Okay, you got me, Steph. I do need the recap because I forgot the order of events for this traumatic childbirth. Okay, so, all right. Now she's going all numb. She says, how long had passed? Was it seconds? Was it minutes? The pain was gone. I'm all numb. I can't feel anything. Oh my God. Can we fast forward? Then she hears Jacob being like, stay with me, Bella. Stay with me, Bella. And she's like, Jacob, Jacob's still here. How about that? And she's like, of course, of course I'll stay. I I promise to keep my heart beating. She's like, obviously. I don't think she's realized yet that that might not be in her control. She says, of course I would keep my heart beating. Hadn't I promised them both? And it's like, well, that's not really how... Heartbeats work, Bella. So she's, uh, well, she's doped up. She's a bit fading in and out of reality. And then she hears Edward whisper, Renezme. And so this is when she gets even more bewildered. She goes, Renezme, question mark. And she goes, not the pale and perfect son of my imagination. I felt a moment of shock. 
<laughs> How could it be that shocking? Like your baby's either going to be a boy or a girl. Like it's not that shocking. If you did give birth to a hermaphrodite, I'd be shocked. You know, like that's, that, that's a bit more unique. That's shocking. It's like, oh, it's a girl. And she's like, whoa, I'm bewildered. The child I imagined didn't get birthed. Oh, what? I felt a moment of shock. And frankly, I wouldn't give a fucking toss what gender the baby was. I'd be like, is it, is it a vampire? Is it a werewolf? Is it a human? What, what the fuck is it? Is what I'd be saying. And then once the shock wears off, she's like, oh, okay, Renesme, And a flood of warmth comes through her. So she's coming around to the idea of having a female child. And so she's like, all right, give it to me, give it to me. And then she says, the light danced, shattering off Edward's crystal hands. The sparkles were tinged with red with the blood that covered his skin. So I know I meant to take from that that there's blood all over Edward's hands, but I'm thinking, why are they sparkling? Because I just watched the movie where he got married in full sunlight and he went hiking in Rio in full sunlight and there was not a single sparkle to be seen. And now he's indoors And I guess there's a lot of natural light. The window's open or something because now he's sparkling inside, which I didn't think could happen. Because now I'm thinking about all the time when they're at Forks High and they're hanging out in the cafeteria. Is he sparkling in there on a sunny day? Or no, I guess if it's not sunny, they don't attend school. And yet right now it's sunny. Hmm. Really uh, took me out of the moment that did. So she says in his hands, his sparkly hands was something small and struggling, dripping with blood. Like it's your baby. You don't have to describe it like that. Oh, it's, there's something in his hand. It's, it's Renesmee, dickhead. So then she touches Renesmee and she says her wet skin was hot, as hot as Jacob's, which is confusing. Like she's half human. Yeah. So she should, if she's not got icy vampire skin, she should just be room temperature like Bella is. And yet Jacob's like superheated because he's a werewolf. So is she also a werewolf? What the fuck? I'm gonna need Carlisle to explain that one to me later. It must be something to do with chromosomes, who knows? So then she starts describing little resentment and she says her eyes were open with a shocked expression. So I mean like mother, like daughter. And she says the little perfectly round head was covered in a thick layer of matted bloody curls. She was a very developed baby. She's also got a full set of teeth which I, I guess was referenced last chapter when she took a bite out of Bella, but I didn't really get it at the time. I'm like, oh wow, this baby has a full set of teeth. That's fucking weird. Is that very unique? I don't know. I feel like you don't hear about that very often, but I, I guess it could happen. I don't know. And she says, under her blood, her skin looked pale, a creamy ivory. Oh, really? Okay, oh, really? She was pale under all the blood that's on her skin? The ca- How can you tell then, Bells, if there's blood all over her? She says her tiny face was so absolutely perfect that it stunned me. She was even more beautiful than her father. Unbelievable, impossible. (laughs) Yeah, that's what's impossible about this kid with the full set of teeth. And this is when the baby smiles and she says, wow, look, look, behind the shell pink lips was a full complement of snowy milk teeth. I wonder if they're fangs. So that's when the baby takes a bite of her and she's like, ah, and then Renesme gets taken off. She wanted to reach for her, but she couldn't. She says, my arms felt like empty rubber hoses for a moment. Okay. Okay. That's oddly specific. And then she can't feel anything. She says, I couldn't feel my arms. I couldn't feel me. And then blackness is covering up her eyes again. So that was just the bloody childbirth. Now we've got to go through the vampire conversion. Oh, strap yourselves in folks. So she feels the blackness pushing down on her and she tries to fight it. I don't know why. 
Oh wait, no, she thinks it's death that's pushing on her, not her turning into a vampire. So, okay, so now she's fighting death. She says, if it had only been for myself, I wouldn't have been able to struggle very long. I was only human. I'd been trying to keep up with the supernatural for too long, but this wasn't just about me. If I did the easy thing now, let the black nothingness erase me, I would hurt them. So now she's like, all right, push through. Don't die, Bella. You got to do it for Edward. (laughs) She goes, Edward, Edward, my life and his were twisted into a single strand. Cut one and you cut both. If he were gone, I would not be able to live through that. Well, no, bitch, you did so in New Moon. Yeah, you were a sad sack for a few months. Um, you're really, really insufferable, but, but you got over it when you fixed up a motorbike with Jacob and you were throwing around pizzas. You'll be fine. I just hate when Stephanie pushes the idea that when you're in love with someone, if they die, you have to die. Or if you die, they have to die. So she says she keeps pushing against the black, though almost as a reflex, okay? She says, I wasn't trying to lift it. I was just resisting. What's the difference? What's the fucking difference? She was like, I wasn't allowing it to crush me completely. I wasn't Atlas and the black felt as heavy as a planet. I couldn't shoulder it. Oh my God. I really wish she died. You know, I never want to see anyone die in childbirth, but if we could just end the book here, that would have been lovely. I'll just carry on the story without Bella. I mean, I would, I, I would read it. I'd read it. But no, she's summoning superhuman strength to resist death. I don't know how she's handling that, but she is. And she's like, I knew Edward would be doing everything he could. He would not give up, so neither would I. I held the blackness of non-existence at bay by inches. Oh, so now it's measured by inches? What the fuck's she talking about? But then she says, as the time ground on and on and the darkness gained by tiny eighths and sixteenths of my inches. What? I needed something more to draw strength from. So, so she's pushing back inches, even though she just said she wasn't pushing back. She was just trying to not let it suffocate her, but, but she is pushing it back. But it's coming back in eighths and sixteenths of an inch. What the fuck's an eighth of an inch? What is she talking about? So then she's like, I need something more to draw strength from. And so she tries to picture Edward, but she can't. So then she tries to picture Jacob and Alice and then Rosalie. And I'm like, really? Rosalie's going to get you through this? You're going to dodge the afterlife by conjuring up an image of Rosalie of all people. I don't even think you liked Rosalie. Like, yeah, you got along the past couple of months, but that's just because she wanted to snatch your baby. Now you're picturing Rosalie to try and evade death. What? And then, and then when Rosalie didn't work, she starts to picture Charlie and Renee. So, oh, okay. She forgot about her parents. She was like, you know what? In the pecking order of things, it goes Edward, then Jacob, then Alice, then Rosalie, and my parents, then Carlisle, and then Esme. But no, none of them work. I don't know. Maybe she should have tried Emmett. She should have tried Emmett and Jasper at least. If she's trying everyone else, maybe try Jessica and Mike. But no, that's not working. And she feels herself slipping. For someone who is dying and has been shot up with a lot of morphine and vampire venom at this point and lost a lot of blood, uh, her spine's broken, etc. She's really thinking clearly, isn't she? She's, (laughs) She's really describing everything in great detail to me. And then she thinks, no, I've got to survive this. Edward's depending on me. So's Charlie. So's Alice. Well, she actually lists them, but without a comma in between, which no commas. She goes, Jacob, Charlie, Alice, Rosalie, Carlisle, Renee, Esme, with just a space in between them. And I'm like, are the the commas off sick? Did we run out of commas at the punctuation store? Like, what the fuck? You can't just do this. so, So that's the order of them, by the way. She's thinking, these people need me. Edward needs me. Sure. Jacob needs me. Yeah, I believe that. I mean, he's been trying to make peace with your impending death and he's struggling with that. So yeah, I get that. Charlie, sure. 
Alice, I think, could live without you. Rosalie, I know, could live without you. I can just imagine Rosalie sitting downstairs by that fireplace holding that little demon spawn and just thinking, oh, please, Bella die. She's thinking, Bella die. I'll adopt this little fucker and you can die and we'll all live happily ever after. I don't think Rosalie depends on you, Bells. Then she thinks Carlisle, then she thinks Renee, and then Esme. And okay, maybe this is why we didn't have a comma in between the names. Because when she says Renee and Esme together, then she remembers <laughs> Renesme. Drop a couple of those E's in between those names and then you get Renesme. Again, if she's this with it during this whole process that she's narrating for me, don't know why she forgot about the baby that she just gave birth to, but now she's like, oh yeah, Renesme, all right. All right, I'll pull through for Renesme. So then even though she can't feel her arms, she imagines that she can feel her arms like a phantom limb. And in those arms, she's imagining she can feel the baby. <sighs> okay. And then she's like, oh, okay, good. That, that does it. I will no longer die because of that. And she thinks I had done it. Against the odds, I had been strong enough to survive Renesme. Well, th- the jury's still out on that one, Toots. She says, I'd done it. I survived. Maybe she forgot that she's dying at this very minute, but I, I don't know. She says, the spot of heat in my phantom arms felt so real, I clutched it closer. What? So she's holding tight to the warm, well, she's not holding anything. She's holding tight to the warm memory of my daughter. And with that warm memory, (laughs) she knew that she'd be able to fight the darkness as long as she needed to, whatever. But then that imagined warmth becomes so real, she starts to get hotter and hotter and hotter. And she's like, oh, this is uncomfortable. It's too hot, it's too hot. She says it's like grabbing the wrong end of a curling iron. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll I'll give you that. I could think of like a lot of things that might be hotter than that, but she's like, it's like grabbing the wrong end of a curling iron. Nothing more uncomfortable and hot than that. But it's not a curling iron. The heat is with inside her and it's growing and growing. And this is just goes on for pages and pages. (laughs) Like She keeps going. It gets hotter and hotter and hotter. And the heat is growing and growing and growing like a flame that's getting bigger and bigger and the hotness is just more hot. And that's basically how she describes it. For a very, very large chunk, a lot of trees died for Bella Swan to describe how hot she was getting. And so now with that fire raging inside of her, she's wishing that she died. She's like, you know what? I wish I never fought against that blackness. Now I wish I was dead. She's like, I know I just told you that I'm gonna fight off the darkness because of the memory of my little nudger, but now I wish I was dead. And so she's already been through a little bit of this before when James bit her, but that was nothing compared to this. She says, James snapping my leg under his foot, that was nothing. That was a soft place to rest on a feather bed. Well, I get what you're saying, but I I doubt it was. Then she says, the baby kicking my ribs apart and breaking her way through me piece by piece, that was nothing. That was floating in a pool of cool water. Well, no, you just told me. It was like getting hit by a bus and trampled by balls and getting sawed in half and all that crap. But okay, now she's saying it was actually not that bad. The fire blazed hotter. Oh my God, we get it. It was hot. Like, shut the hell up. Then she realized it wasn't the darkness holding her down. It was her body. It was so heavy, burying me in the flames. Oh, we get it. There's flames. And then she's like, why can't I move? Why can't I scream? This wasn't part of the stories. And then she's like, you know, my mind was unbearably clear. So I, I thought it through and she's like, oh, it's the morphine. So then she has a little mini flashback thinking about the time that they discussed it, Edward, Carlisle and her. Edward and Carlisle had hoped that the painkillers would help fight the pain of the venom. <laughs> Who would have thought a painkiller would fight pain? And Carlisle had tried it with Emmett 
but the venom had burned ahead of the medicine, sealing his veins, and there hadn't been time for the medicine to spread. Okay. But she says, because I'd had morphine and venom together in my system before, I knew the truth. I knew the numbness of the medicine was completely irrelevant while the venom seared through my veins, but there'd be no way I was going to mention that fact. Nothing that would make Edward more unwilling to change me. So she's glad that he couldn't read her mind because she knew that the morphine wouldn't have worked anyway. But she says like she's had morphine and venom at the same time in her system before. And I don't know if that's the case. Back at the ballet studio, she got bit. Didn't Edward suck out the venom and like spit it out? And then I assume she went on a trip to a hospital and then got the morphine. But I guess she's saying with that incident, she knew the morphine would do nothing because she still felt pain. But I don't know. She was passed out for days. She woke up and was like, Oh yeah, I'm alive, as I seem to recall. And I don't know when she became a fucking doctor to decide that the morphine didn't have any effect on her own body when it was implemented after she was bit with vampire venom. So I don't fucking get that at all. But she's like, yeah, I knew it wasn't gonna help. And now it's not helping. It's actually having an opposite effect. She says, instead of helping, the morphine's actually pinning me down and gagging me, holding me paralyzed while I burned. Yeah, I don't know. Go get an MD and then tell me this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And so now she's so paralyzed, she can't scream out to let them know that she's in pain and that she wants them to kill her because she's in that much pain. So she's like, well, I didn't want to scream, but I guess I'm, I'm not screaming now because of the morphine somehow. <sighs> Whatever. She says, all I wanted was to die, to have never been born. Well, same. <laughs> she thinks, let me die, let me die, let me die, blah, blah, blah. Then she says, the only change came when suddenly and possibly my pain was doubled 
the lower half of my body, deadened since before the morphine, was suddenly on fire. Okay, so did the morphine work or not? I don't get it. She says some broken connection had been healed, knitted together by the scorching fingers of the flame. I get it, you're hot. Oh God, she's going on and on about being hot. We get it. Then she says the endless burn raged on. Okay. Then she says it could have been seconds or days, weeks or years, but eventually time came to mean something again. Well, clearly time means nothing if you're saying it could have been seconds or days or weeks or years. It's clearly not been years, Bella. So she says three things happened. Time restarted, the morphine's weight faded, and she got stronger. Okay. It can't have been weeks or years, Bella. How long do you think morphine stays in the system? Like really, Bella, really? You just told me with Emmett, the morphine lasted like three seconds. And now she's like, it could be years that this morphine's been traveling through my body. What? Get a grip. Get a grip. So she says she could feel the control of her body coming back to her in increments. And those increments were her first markers of the time passing. But the fire did not decrease. Of course not. The fire's still raging, raging, raging. But then like the weight lifts from her body and she gains a bit more control, but she still doesn't act on it. She's like, oh, I knew I could move my fingers, but I didn't want to. I knew I could scream out, but I didn't want to. It's like, well, why? Oh, it's because she doesn't want to hurt anyone else. She doesn't want to hurt Edward's feelings by screaming. Like, oh my God. She's so insufferable when it comes to her being a martyr, doesn't it? And she even compares it to her being burned at the stake. She says, I wanted to keep the screams and thrashing locked up inside my body where they couldn't hurt anyone else. And it felt like I'd gone from being tied to the stake as I burned to gripping that stake to hold myself in the fire. Or just scream and let him feel bad for turning you into a vampire and falling in love with you and ruining your fucking life. Like, is it that bad to let someone feel remorseful? Oh, she's so annoying. She says, I had just enough strength to lie there unmoving while I was charred alive. We get it, you're hot. Then her hearing gets better. She starts to get a little bit of vampire hearing and she can hear the pounds of her own heartbeat to try and mark the time. So she starts counting her breaths. She starts counting the low, even breaths that came from someone close beside her. I'm assuming Edward. So for some reason, the vampire is breathing. He doesn't need to, and he doesn't need to have low, even breaths. He's like a fucking whale. He can just breathe once every 50 minutes, but no. All right, so he's breathing and she's counting his breaths to, to count the time. Okay. She says, more even than a clock's pendulum, those breaths pulled me through the burning seconds toward the end. She says, I continued to get stronger, my thoughts clearer. When new noises came, she could listen. So she hears footsteps and she can tell the difference of footsteps now. I think Edward's talking to Carlisle. Carlisle saying there's no scent of the morphine left. And she's like listening, being like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then Carlisle says, Bella, can you hear me? And she doesn't want to say anything out loud because she knows she'll scream. She says, if I unlocked my teeth, I would lose it. I would shriek and screech and writhe and thrash. And if I opened my eyes, if I so much as twitched a finger, any change at all would be the end of my control. So she's like, I don't want to scream. So I'm just going to sit here and suffer. What are you giving birth in Scientology? Like you're allowed to scream if you feel in pain, babe. You're not Katie Holmes delivering Tom Cruise's kid. You can scream. And I think maybe they would appreciate hearing you scream because they expected that. They've been through this. And Carlisle didn't scream because he was afraid of getting caught when he was turning. But I'm pretty sure Edward would have screamed the house down boots. And then they've turned like five other people who all screamed. So they probably think something's fucked up if you're not screaming, bub. So just scream, let it out. Let me hear you roar, as Katy Perry would say. 
And then Edward saying, Bella, Bella, can you open your eyes? Can you squeeze my hand? And she's like, nah, I'm not doing it. I don't want to lose my self-control. So now he's thinking, oh, maybe I killed it, Carlisle. Like he would really be reassured by anything, but she's refusing to give it to him. And Carlisle's like, nah, you can hear a heartbeat. It's getting stronger, stronger than ever. So, you know, hang in there. The venom will hear her spine. She'll be fine. And Edward's like, but she's so still, I must've done something wrong. And she's still hearing that and ignoring that. She's like, I don't care. I don't want you to feel bad. So I'm not going to make you feel better by screaming because I don't want you to feel bad if I scream. So, I mean, work that one out. And Edward's like, oh, she must be in agony. And Carlisle says, we don't know that. She had so much morphine in her system. We don't know the effect that will have on her experience. You're not great. I doubt she'll ever tell them because she's such a saint. She'll never tell them. And he says, Bella, I love you. Bella, I'm so sorry. And she goes, I wanted so much to answer him, but I wouldn't make his pain worse. It, it would make it better in my opinion, but oh, okay. Do the silent treatment, doll. And then she says, through all of this, the racking fire went right on burning me. We get it. We get it enough. But there's more space in her head to think about other things. So she's thinking about the room. She's thinking about the future, blah, blah, fucking blah. She thinks about the baby. Then Edward and Carlisle are talking about something. Like Carlisle says, oh, it's an interesting situation. I thought I'd seen just about everything. And Edward says, I'll deal with it later. We'll deal with it. Edward says, I don't know which side to take. I'd love to flog them both. Well, we'll worry about it later. And Carlisle's like, I wonder what Bella will think, whose side she'll take. So they're being all ambiguous. And Bella's thinking, oh, what the fuck? She's thinking, were they talking so mysteriously just to annoy me? It's like, no, Bella, they don't think you can hear them. Maybe if you spoke up, Maybe if you said, hey, what are you guys talking about? Then they would respond to you. They're not being ambiguous just to fuck with you. She's, she's so self-centered sometimes. Were they, being, were they being so mysterious just to annoy me? Like, bitch, speak up. You've told me you can speak, speak up. So then she goes back to counting Edward's breaths to mark the time. She says 10,943 breaths later, someone else walks into the room and their walk is lighter and more rhythmic. And she goes, wow, it's strange that I could distinguish the minute differences between footsteps that I'd never been able to hear at all before today. And it's Alice walking in the room, which I think is weird because she's always talked about how Alice moves so gracefully and differently to Edward and other people. She's like commented on that at least like 15 times throughout the series so far. So now she's like, wow, it's weird that I can tell when Alice is walking more softly. And I was like, well, it's kind of been something you've been doing consistently, but okay. And so Alice, she thinks she's a freaking genius because the powers are back. She's like, oh, it won't be long now. She's becoming so much clearer to me. I can see her so much better. And Edward's like, you're feeling bitter about it, huh? And she's like, well, yeah. She goes, you would be mortified too if you realized that you were handcuffed by your own nature. She says, I see vampires best because I am one. I see humans okay because I was one, but I can't see these odd half breeds at all because they're nothing I've experienced. Bah. Okay, so Alice is saying that Renesmee's a half-breed, so she can't see her because she's never been a half-breed herself. It's like, okay. And I think she's also lumping in werewolves as half-breeds. I don't know if they technically are, but yeah, again, chromosome theory, I guess, I guess we can call them a half-breed. But she says she sees vampires best because she is one. She sees humans okay because she was one. And yet, like, she also sees stock market trends and she's not been one of them. She sees weather patterns and she's not been one of them. Interesting. And remember when those three vampires did interrupt her baseball game in the storm? She saw the storm, but she didn't see the vampires. So I don't know if she really does see vampires best. She's always looking for a fucking loophole, isn't she? (laughs) 
She's like, oh, it's a, I couldn't say it because it was a half braid because I'm not a half braid. Like, okay, doll. I just think you can't say shit because your powers are shit. But she's gloating. She's like, Bella's almost too easy to see now. It's not going to be long. And Edward's like, well, where was your confidence two days ago, doll? She goes, well, I couldn't see two days ago. But now that she's free of all the blind spots, it's a piece of cake. Okay, so it's been two days since she gave birth and then died. So it's not been years like Bella suspects. So then Edward says, okay, well, how long is it going to be? Could you concentrate for me? Concentrate on the clock and give me an estimate. And so then she does, but she only thinks the answer. And Edward's like, oh, okay, thanks. And I'm thinking like, oh, you're not a clock though. How can you see clocks if you've never had experience as a clock? But apparently she's had experience as a clock and she can see the future of clocks. What the? I don't get it. And so Bella's thinking, oh, these assholes, why can't they say it out loud? Is it too much to ask? Well, ask them. Just open up your fucking mouth and ask them. I mean, I get you might not be able to make words, but whatever. She's like, how many more seconds would I burn? Oh, because it's hot, everybody. It's hot. 10,000, 20, another day, 86,400 seconds. (laughs) Okay. It's starting to sound like the opening song from Rent. Then Alice goes, oh, she's going to be dazzling. And Bella's like, oh, oh, good. She's like remembering now that vampires are hot. And she's like, oh, I can't wait to be hot. She's like, oh, I thought I would look like I'm being burned to a crisp. Uh, But I can't wait to be hot. So then she hears Alice breeze out of the room. She hears downstairs someone's watching a ball game. She never hears a baby crying or anything. And then she tunes out. She's like, I'm not interested in baseball. I'm going to go back to counting Edward's breaths. Like what? I get you're in love with him, but. Even I would rather watch or listen to baseball than just listen to someone breathing. And I think it's the most boring sport in the world. But yeah, I'd be enthralled by baseball if that was all I could listen to. And yet she's listening to breathing. She says baseball was not interesting enough to distract me from the pain. Well, I mean, give it a go. So she says she starts listening to Edward's breathing instead, counting the seconds. Okay, but (sighs) Edward, I don't think breathes once per second. So then she says it was 21,917 and a half seconds later, the pain changed. So maybe she was just listening to the breaths, but counting the seconds. But I thought time meant nothing without her counting breaths and other things around her. So, I mean, who really gives a shit? So, okay, 21,956 minutes. How do you measure, measure a year in your life? Later, she starts to get feeling back. She starts to feel stuff in her fingers and her toes. And she's like, oh, okay, this is it. We're moving on up. The pain's going out. And then she's like, oh, no. But the fire in my throat has changed. It's not only on fire, but now I'm parched. It's dry as a bone. I'm so thirsty. There's a burning fire and a burning thirst. Oh my God. Do you think she's hot? Do you think she's burning up? I sort of, I'm sort of starting to suspect that there might be a fire raging in her body. And then she says, also bad news. The fire inside my heart got hotter. You know, I'm not going to feel sorry for you. You chose this. You fought for this. You made everyone in the house take a vote so that you could become a vampire. Like, this is what you wanted. Suck it up. So then her heartbeat's starting to get really fast. And Edward's like, Carlisle, Carlisle, we're we're getting ready over here. Then all the fire's moving from her limbs and is just like getting contained just in her heart. She says, 
My heart blazed hot as the sun. Oh, 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 now it's hot as the sun, is it? And how hot is the sun exactly, Dal? So then Carlisle, Alice, they come in and Carlisle's like, oh, it's almost over. And she's like, oh, thank God. Finally, someone's speaking out loud and the fire's getting extinguished in her limbs. Uh, her heart's still raging, the fire of the sun. And Alice is like, cool, so I'll go get the others, but maybe I'll tell Rosalie to hang back. And Edward's like, yep, keep the baby away. And Bella's like, oh, what? No, why would they keep the baby away? She goes, what did he mean, keep the baby away? What was he thinking? And it's like, they're thinking that you're gonna be a bloodthirsty vampire and that she's a little half human thing with blood running through and you're gonna wanna kill her. That's what they're thinking. And she's like, I wanna see the baby. It's like, you're a crazy vampire, bitch. Well, you're meant to be. I mean, I know you're not gonna be, but, oh, would you forgive them for taking precautions, please? And her fingers are twitched. She's so irritated. She's like, oh, I'm so irritated. They're hiding my baby from me because they think I'm gonna kill it. Ugh. So then Edward again says, Bella, Bella. And he's squeezing her hands and she thinks, maybe I could answer him without screaming. And then she's like, oh, no, my fire is still hot. She goes, the, the fire burning on me is still really fucking hot. So I'm going to scream. So I better not respond. <laughs> so she goes, better not chance it. <laughs> so she's still saying nothing. So then Alice goes, oh, I'll bring them right up. And she goes, Alice said an urgent edge to her tone. And I heard the swish of wind as she darted away. Oh, so she's surprised by something again. She was focusing on the clock a little while earlier and was so confident but now she's got an urgent edge to her tone. Like maybe you could have prepared this earlier than Alice if you saw it coming. Huh? Huh? So what I guess they're doing is they're pulling in the reinforcements because they think they'll have to restrain her perhaps. That's what I think is going to happen. Um, and then her heart gets even faster. She says, beating like helicopter blades. Do helicopter blades beat? Huh? Um, I don't know. Then the fire flared up. Oh my God, the fucking fire. <sighs> the fire flared up in the center of her chest sucking the last remnants of the flames from the rest of her body. Oh God, to fuel the most scorching blaze yet. Oh, so now it's even hotter than the sun. We had the heat of the sun and now it's hotter. So then she's making out like it's some sort of fight between her heartbeat and the fire attacking it. I'm really over it. The fire was doomed. Having consumed everything that was combustible, my heart galloped towards its last beat. Fuck's sake, this fire. The fire constricted, okay. Concentrating inside that one remaining human organ with a final unbearable surge. And then her heart stuttered twice, thudded quietly again, just once more, and then bloomp, no more heartbeat. She says there was no sound, no breathing, not even mine. Yeah, because you don't have to breathe anymore. Okay. For a moment, the absence of pain was all she could comprehend, and then she opened her eyes and gazed above in wonder. And that's the end of the chapter. Kind of feel like we could have just made that a one sentence chapter with her opening her eyes since. Since that's sort of how the last chapter ended with the whole changing heart thing. Jacob's like, oh, I can hear a changing heart happening. But no, we had to go through her whole conversion for like two days. That was a fun, fun fucking read, wasn't it? So next week, I assume will be more fun because then she'll actually be awake. So I'm looking forward to that. Awake and responding to people. So that'll be, that'll be a nice change. Any thoughts, hit me up and I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. 
To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.